Hello, and welcome to 15 Minutes to Change the World, where in 15 minutes or less, you can learn a bit more about the world and how you can help change it for the better. My name is Lama Al-Safi, and I'm the host of this podcast. This month, we'll be bringing you four special episodes as part of our March for Women podcast series. Throughout the month of March, we'll be talking to four incredible women working in different sectors and with different areas of expertise to learn more about women's leadership here in Canada and around the world. As always, you'll hear about how you can become more involved by learning from, advocating for, and supporting women to lead. Today, we're talking about women's financial and corporate leadership, and we have a very special guest, Cindy Karugia, Financial Advisor at the Royal Bank of Canada. Cindy is a strong advocate for gender equality, multiculturalism, and inclusive leadership. Cindy also lends her time and expertise to nonprofit organizations like Girls 20, and we are thrilled to have her as a Care Canada board member. Welcome, Cindy. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you for having me. Cindy, financial inclusion is so critical to women's empowerment and to enabling people to provide for their families, to grow their business, and invest in their children's futures. Can you tell us a bit how you came to be involved in advocating and working for financial inclusion? I'm really lucky and privileged to work for an institution that always empowers us to be our community's bank um, and getting involved with the community. My educational background is in criminology. And so I was lucky enough to have exposure to different non-for-profit organizations um, that exist within my community. And one that has always stayed near and dear to my heart is a women's domestic violence um, shelter. So the first year, what we did is we were able to go down there and actually do a presentation on financial wellness um, to the different people that were staying at that home. And it really inspired me to just be looking at these different events that we do with a different lens. And let's look at who is not in the room. Um, and also, it was really sad when I was reflecting and also equally as empowering when I was reflecting of how there was motivation and determination um, to really, on their journey towards healing, um, to really take back their power. And one of the biggest things that affects everyone um, is finances. And it really gets to determine a lot of us. And there's a lot of privilege that comes with it. Um, and just something as simple as understanding of what to do once you acquire debt, budgeting, different types of budgeting, why do we do it? Um, and just different things such as that. It was really an awesome sharing circle just to hear about them speaking about even some point in their past how they used to champion it. They're really motivated to get back into it. Or for an example, how financial abuse was one of the abuses that they did face. Um, and how this has really helped them get started. All in all, long story short, that's really what inspired me. And it really triggered me to just start um, making sure that we're not just going to what we've traditionally done, but we're also thinking outside the box and we're making sure that we're reaching everyone without our own biases behind it. Cindy, we know uh, that women in particular, both here in Canada and globally, face unique challenges when it comes to power over finances and access uh, to opportunities. You just mentioned uh, financial abuse, for example. Can you talk about some of these challenges and how they can be addressed? So we do know that there is a lot of power that comes into especially finances. Finances affect women differently. Going forward also to into COVID-19 context, how we're seeing statistics of women being furtherly 
uh, marginalized and leaving the workforce. Fortunately, with things like daycare shutting down, lack of caregivers, we're seeing this affect everyone. And I can agree with that, but it's affecting women more. And if we add in the different lenses of intersectionality, and we're looking at it also too from a race lens too, we are seeing a lot of women being excluded from participating in the economy. And that's not okay. And more needs to be done um, and called upon institutions and governments and corporate to respond in a meaningful way and it still allows them once we are past this either to re-enter their workforce or for organizations to really challenge how their HR practices are and be flexible um, with work hours potentially. Yeah, uh, I can go on and on and on about this. Cindy, um, can you talk a little bit please about what financial literacy means and how your work touches upon making financial literacy accessible and affordable to all? Financial literacy, unfortunately, is something that's complex and it really shouldn't be. And I'm really glad um, within a Canadian context, they're starting, and in some provinces, they're starting to introduce it into curriculums. Because if it was up to me, this is something that should be started to be taught within grade school. For me, that work means demystifying and simplifying finances to Canadian people and the people that I work with. For me, it's something as simple as if I'm opening up a bank account or applying for uh, a credit card for somebody who's a newcomer to Canada, simply taking the time to explain to them Canadian banking or forming partnerships with local high schools and going and running uh, presentations and explaining something as simple as what is debit, what is credit. Um, something I often hear is credit is bad. Well, no, credit is a tool. And if you're taught how to use the tool properly, then you could use it to your advantage. But how are they, how are we ever going to set this up for people for success if we don't start teaching them at a young age um, and making it accessible? And also going back to my previous example, I tried to provide advice events, even partnering up with the local sexual violence support centers within my community or reaching out to alternative education centers. Um, it really does make a difference. And it always makes me so happy how, you know, they're so hungry to learn. And I often hear the same one. Why did no one ever teach me this? And it's really about making that conscious effort um, and bringing different folks into the room who are left out and helping them navigate through these new uncharted territories. Your passion and expertise also lies in inclusive leadership. Cindy, what does a truly inclusive corporate leadership team look like and what are the benefits to having one? Whew, that's a good question. For me, I think an inclusive leadership team is one that is made up of the landscape that looks like where you're from. I do think also inclusive leadership is more than just reflective. It, it does help having visibility within it, having a diverse um, leadership team, whether it's based off of race, gender, and even the invisible um, things that we might see, people who've overcome many challenges to get to where they are, and they have that story that can really resonate with every people and help them feel truly reflected and seen and heard within a company. And also, you know, recognizing that, you know, when someone speaks and someone speaks their truth about something that is scary or they're trying to advance in a certain um, area within their career, you know, helping support them. I know often there's this big push for networking, 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 but something that I would love to see more and more within corporate spaces is sponsorship. There is networking and meeting people and knowing all these great people and having extra friends on your LinkedIn. But, you know, it would be really cool to see successful networking where two people um, meet and, you know, 
there's that mutual reciprocal exchange of where um, everyone is both growing and learning, but also, you know, that person with maybe a higher up position, taking the time to invest in a person, taking a chance on that person, believing in that person. And that doesn't happen until we have successful networking. And, you know, it's recognizing too, who's in your pipeline um, for talent and checking yourself when you are going through the hiring process, if you're a hiring manager, uh, is there any biases that you could be applying to this process? And also, you know, looking within your company and also um, reframing often what's um, called, quote unquote, you know, call it culture and cancel culture, whenever someone within your organization bring something up and reframing it for something as calling an accountability and as an opportunity as an organization, you know, to do better, to serve better. I often look to Maya Angel's words of, you know, once you know better, and I'm definitely paraphrasing this, once you know better, just simply do better. And really, that's all that's needed to build more inclusive, safer places within corporate. Despite the movement, Cindy, to bring greater diversity to corporate leadership in Canada, we know that there's still so much work that needs to be done to create truly inclusive workspaces. Can you tell us, please, what are some of the barriers that Black women and women of color, as you see it, are facing at the office? Um, what are the obstacles to advancement into more senior leadership roles? That's a phenomenal question. The first thing I think organizations can do, you know, is mandatory unconscious bias training. And it really allows folks so when they speak out and they ask the organization saying you know you brought me into this space great now let's make this a safer place so I can thrive equally where you know there's this dual consciousness of being a black woman you, you you're always trying to balance little microaggressions such as you know some days I, I enjoy people asking questions about my hair. This is a to cop uh, commonly talked about topic, but there's some days I just don't want to. And, you know, it's taking the time to understand and reading body languages and recognizing that, you know, black women are often brought into the spaces and tokenized after and really educating yourself on what, you know, tokenization is. Did you actually bring them into the space of, um, you know, to do the work or did you bring them so on an external basis you look better? I think another one, too, is, you know, allowing for feedback through HR practices, both anonymously or in person. Getting the perspective of different people going through that process can make a greater change because you're now hearing and seeing and building a system that's truly reflective of all pers um, personalities. And another one, too, is, you know, adding consent to your HR processes. There's times where, you know, I've spoken to several other black women um, through different channels that I've met with, you know, and sometimes you speak up about something and sometimes they go above and beyond and doing something in a tense of thinking they're helping, but, you know, really they just wanted a place to just go report it and, you know, leave it at that and allowing them to decide, you know, how far it goes. Another one too is training your leadership team to listen and understand to serve a more diverse group because yes it's new to a lot of um different spaces and as they keep advancing but you know how to really hear and understand them also for organizations to check their mental health coverages and allowing their employees to seek adequate services i think is a good option because you know there's a lot of it takes an emotional um toll especially when you are starting to diversify um 
an area which has been uncharted territories and there's a lot to navigate in and out of and it's phenomenal we live in a day and age where that's okay um, to talk about on an external basis now but you know having that financial support also is great and I think also another last one the most importantly is taking them seriously and really making sure that we are reflecting on conversations and you know not gaslighting them because that's something that you know we often face because usually when we speak up and the first time we're told oh no no you're over that's not what happened this is what happened no 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 that's my truth i'm telling you my truth now your job as a leader is to go find out the other person's truth come together and somewhere in the middle that's where the, the real truth is and really helping and coming from that you know community standpoint and just really normalizing a lot of conversations like privilege, you know, how can I get better? Allowing people to talk about it, you know, for the longest time, I've seen my blackness as, you know, as soon as I bring it up, it, everyone freezes because, you know, they're so scared to say the wrong thing, but how can you grow and get better if you don't try? And it's not something that, you know, silence won't get us to the place where we want to be as a society. Um, having these uncomfortable conversations until we become comfortable, that's where change is going to come because there's a lot of power and community. It can't just be all on, you know, black women or people, women of color to change things, um, even though historically that's how it's been, or me having to, you know, police and navigate myself within what area I'm in and, you know, constantly checking myself to fit into this box. Um, and I know other black women too often face this. And lastly, Cindy, what can our listeners do to support women's advancement in corporate leadership? I think it's recognizing that, you know, we've made a lot of strong headway. And I think within this last year, within a COVID context, everything has been exacerbated. One thing that I can say, and I think for myself, if investing your time in the next generation is something important, which it should be really, because we are going to be the future, you know, make sure um, to see how much more can you do? Are you mentoring a young person? And if not, can you? And add in perspective from that, try and get representation between, you know, Black, Indigenous, non-binary folks, and, you know, who has strong, vocal, passionate personalities, not to say that if they don't advance them, but, you know, really accepting them for who they are and not trying to change them to be a cookie cutter person, but really uplifting them um, and adding support and, you know, investing your time, money and resources to really make sure that what we have started and this momentum that we have has a strong, lasting, structural, institutional change and impact. And other than that, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it was a really great discussion and we thank you for lending your time to be here today. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Please stay tuned for the rest of our March for Women podcast series as we listen, learn from, and amplify the voices of women leaders in Canada and around the world. As always, you can stay up to date on the latest episode of 15 Minutes to Change the World on Spotify, iTunes, and on care.ca slash podcast.